Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? It's good to be here and good to, good to get to fellowship and worship with you guys. You know, it's just such an encouragement to, um, to come together. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching this morning out of Ephesians 4 and 5, but, but the, little, the passage that kind of right before what I'm going to be talking about today is, is Paul's exhortation to unity in the church. And I don't think there's a better picture of unity in the church than, than, than to be listening to all these voices come together in song that praise God. So um, thank you for, for being here to do that, because you being here not only honors God, but uplifts all of us here. So, so thank you for that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Keller. I am one of the elders in the church. I am not a pastor here, um, but I will be uh, sharing from the Word this morning. We like to to encourage our elders to do that once in a while, and this is a, a fifth Sunday of the month, so it's a good opportunity to give our pastors a little bit of a break, and uh, unfortunately, you guys will have to endure that. All right. Um, I, real quick, the eat up, catch up, pray up that's going to be going on uh, today at 11 o'clock. Uh, so if, if you're unfamiliar, what that is, it's an opportunity to come together in fellowship. We're going we're gonna to break bread together. We're going to eat together. Um, we're just going to fellowship and talk and, and kind of catch up, but also part of that is a little bit of a kind of a family meeting, right? We're going to, the board's going to share with you some of the things that are going on from the board perspective. We're going to kind of give you an update on the things we're thinking about, the things we see as needs in the future that we need to be addressing, um, and an opportunity for you to, to share with the board kind of what's on your heart, what, what you want the board to know, what, what kind of family business that you want to address. So I would encourage you to attend. That's a great opportunity for those of you who, who really, you know, feel like you're a part of this body, and I hope that's all of you here. That's an opportunity to come in and, and uh, really get kind of behind the scenes and, and participate in more than just this part of the fellowship. Okay, my son assures me the clicker works, and if it doesn't, it's just user error, so we'll see about that. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the, in the, in the seat in front of you. Just go ahead and, and grab that. We're going to be walking through um, what is my favorite. My favorite book of the New Testament is the book of Ephesians. I just love the way the Apostle Paul just beautifully walks through the gospel in the book of Ephesians. Uh, he, he, he very eloquently, and, and probably, it, it's almost like the book of Ephesians, like Paul was in a strange mood when he wrote it, because it's just a little more flowing and poetic than most of his letters, and it's, it's really kind of a neat perspective. But he very eloquently, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he just kind of walks through our desperation, our need, our living in darkness, and our necessity to know the gospel. And it also, just the same, walks through God's provision for our redemption. Walks through this whole story of what God has done through His Son to give us hope to change from that darkness to the light. That's the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, essentially. And he continues with that in, in chapter 4. And that's, in, in chapter 4, he starts to transition. He starts to say, okay, now I've been telling you what the gospel looks like and how it can change your life, now I'm going to instruct you, now that you've been changed, now that you've experienced that change in your life, here's how you start to live. Here's how that change should reflect and look in your life as you become part of this new thing called the church, right? That was a very new thing at the time. 
So what I'm going to do today, all right, Daniel, let's, let's see here. Okay, there we go. All right. So I'm going to be covering these two verses, all right? Now, those of you that know me and have heard me talk before, that really doesn't mean anything to you, right? Because I can, I can really go on in two verses. For those of you that don't know me, well, let yourself be comforted for now. All right. Troy told me that I'm on a word count this week. I'm fine with that, Troy. I'll let you know when I'm ready for you to start counting. All right. Ephesians. What's that? (laughs) I said I'll let you know when I'm ready for you to start counting. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's it. That's the whole passage we're going to cover today, right? But it's going to require some other passages to help us understand this passage, all right? One of the things that's difficult for me is, is I, when I do get to share, I get to share like one Sunday in a row, right? So I, I, I've, got to, I've got to pick a, a passage that I can fit into one Sunday. Now, the problem is is there's not that many passages that are super short. So in order for me to understand Ephesians 5, well, i got to look at Ephesians 4, right? Because Ephesians 4 helps me understand 5. But in order to understand 4, i got to understand 3. In order to understand 3, i got to understand 2. So the problem is i got this whole book in my head that I'm trying to, to condense here for you. But what I want us to understand in this is, is Ephesians, or Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 is really a segue, and it, and it might actually belong better at the end. No one asked me when they wrote, when they, when they recopied the Bible, but I think it actually belongs better at the end of chapter 4 rather than the beginning of 5. So what I want to do today is I want to walk through, I want to uh, pick this apart a little bit, and we're going to go back to 4 and look at how 4 informs this. We're also going to look at some other scripture and see how it's informed also. So let's just focus on this for right now. So it starts with therefore, right? Whenever you see that therefore, it matters. But what the therefore is telling you is you should have been paying attention to what was before this, right? And so that's why we're going to go back and look at four in a little bit. Be imitators of God. So that's our first instruction, be imitators of God. So now we're going to have to understand, well, what is what is God? Who is God? How, how do I imitate that? So we're going to look at that today. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So that's, that's our role. That's our identity as beloved children. So, so we're going to look at this through the lens of our identity as God's beloved children. The fourth thing in here is, is we're going to walk in love. Well, that's, that's a good instruction, but but it's not quite enough of an instruction for our corrupt hearts, right? Because in our, in our corrupt hearts, we want to distort what love is and make up our own rules for what it looks like to walk in love. It goes on to say we're going to walk in love, and here's the additional instruction. As Christ loved us. Now we've got a clearer picture of what walking in love looks like. So we're going to explore how Christ loved us. And the way he loved us was he gave himself up for us. Why? Well, to, to offer a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, because that's what was required from the beginning of humankind. 
that God required, anytime there was this, this separation, this sin that separated man from God, there required an offering to be able to have communion with God. And so Christ fulfilled that for us. All right, so we, we can look at the first three issues here that we uncovered, the, the being imitators of God and beloved children in the walk. So earlier... Earlier we see in Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God, this is chapter 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, this is Paul describing God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what Paul is saying here is God in his love has lavished upon us has desired for us to be a part of his perfect plan. That's, that's the God that has this kind of love that we're to imitate, okay? So we start with that. As beloved children, in Ephesians chapter 3, so we're going to jump around here in Ephesians, because I told you the whole book informs what we're talking about today. So in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 6, Paul says, The mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. You see a theme throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament that that we are all heirs. We, We all become adopted children of God. That makes us that makes us brothers to Jesus, right? In a sense. So so we whether Jews or, or he's saying here, even the Gentiles all become heirs of God. So that's our identity as beloved children. Now, we talk about identity a lot. Our small group talks about identity a lot. You've, you all in this room have a lot of characteristics about you. I've got a lot of characteristics about me, right? Whether it's my, my race, my age, my family status, my career status, the things I like to do as hobbies, all those things are my characteristics. But if I find my identity in any of those things, I've sold myself short of who I really am, right? If I find my identity as my wife's husband or as my kid's father, if my identity is that of a father, that's, that's not the whole picture of who I am. That's just a characteristic of me, right? My identity is I'm a beloved child of God. And in that identity, God creates fullness in giving me the blessings of these other characteristics. So our identity is important. Our identity is important. And we walk in love. So now we have to understand what that looks like to walk in love. How did I, I think we're going to flip the order a little bit here. The order of the verses, 
and we walk in love as Christ loved us. So we're going to look first at how Christ loved us, then go back and look at walk in love. So how did Christ love us? So again, if you've got your Bible, this is a good one to bookmark in here, this um, John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus is telling them, here's a picture of love. Here's a picture of the ultimate kind of love, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. Well, Jesus was leaving something out of this because later on, these other passages I have up there, Romans 5, 7 through 8, and 1 John three sixteen. Romans 5 actually says that not only did he lay down his life for his friends, but, but his love is so great that he would lay down his life for his enemies, right? Now, here's why, here's why Jesus left that out. It wasn't, it wasn't that Jesus was wrong in this. It's that in a way, Jesus' friends were his enemies, okay? Think about that for a second. Who, who would Jesus' enemies have been? Jesus' enemies would have been those who opposed him, those who, those who argued against him, those who taught something opposed to him. But, but man, I, I got to think, I got to think that his enemies might also be those responsible for his death in a way, right? Now, who was responsible for Jesus' death? Why, would, why was Jesus sent to earth to die at all? Jesus was sent as a propitiation for mankind's sins. Now, who's responsible for mankind's sins? Well, all of us, right? Because we've all chosen that path to some degree or another, even Jesus' friends. So it's even the sin of Jesus' friends that required Jesus' sacrifice and death. So so Jesus loved them so much that he's looking at these guys, and and he's looking at Peter, and he he knows what's going on in Peter's life. He He knows he knows that Peter, as much as Peter loves him with all he can humanly muster, is going to fail him. He knows that. He knows that even John, who loves him dearly, has sinned in his life. And even John deserves this death that Jesus is going to go do for him. Jesus doesn't hold this against these guys. These guys are his friends as he identifies. But as Paul is teaching about this later, all of us, whether his friends or not, all of us, in essence, are separated from him because of our sins and, and because of our own choices and actions, put him on the cross. You see, that's how great Jesus' love is. He knows that. He knows that about us. He knows that about Peter and John and James and Matthew, all these guys that are close to him. He knows who they are to him. He knows that they are separated from him eternally because of their sin. And because of them and their choices, he's got to go hang on this cross. But he does it anyway. That's his love. But it's, but it's even more than this. I mean, we, we see this ultimate picture in the, that he gave himself up for, for all people by dying on the cross, by going through this, this sacrificial system. He became that sacrifice. There's not a greater picture of his love, but we see a, a more illustration of his love in the way he lived. I love the way he responds to sinners throughout his ministry. I love the way that Jesus talks to the woman at the well in John 4, where he knows she's in sin. She knows she's in sin. He doesn't, he doesn't beat her on the bush. He just gets right at it, but he does it gently, 
mean, he's not harsh with her, but he's direct with her. He's blunt with her. He calls her out on her sin, but he gives her hope in that. He comes right to her and loves her in a way that he knows she'll respond. Jesus forgives the adulterous woman. You stay on that slide. Jesus forgives the adulterous woman. And this, I don't think there's a more beautiful picture of Jesus' love than than the way he responds to this woman. So, so the, the Pharisees kind of set up this trap, and they grab this woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Of course, they just bring her, not the other person she was caught in the act of adultery with. And they bring this woman before Jesus. They say, yeah, she was caught in adultery. What's the law say to do? He says, well, I, you know, the law says to, that she can be condemned for that. He said, I'll tell you what, how about if, if any of you here are free of, of sin, and not, not only this, but in the actual text, as I understand it, he's saying of free of this particular sin, you, you, if you're free of this particular sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And, and, and kind of in a succession of the older guys down to the younger guys, they start to just walk away. They start to leave. And here's this broken woman who's expecting to die at this point. She's here on the, in the dirt, humiliated, embarrassed, and scared to death that she actually is about to die a brutally and painful death. Here she is in the dirt. All her accusers walk away. And Jesus gets down. And I can, just, I can just picture him kneeling down, lifting up her chin, saying, where are your accusers? And they're gone. And he gives her this blessing, this, this I know you sinned, but I forgive you. Now go and, and sin no more, right? So in that interaction with her, he, he does not condone her sin. He forgives, but then he tells her, go and sin no more. But you see, he does it in love. He, he meets her exactly where she needs to be met in order to respond to him. Now, he does not do the same with the Pharisees and scribes. He does not get down with the Pharisees and say, hey, look, guys, I know you've done some bad things, but you know what? Why don't you just go and not do those bad things? He doesn't have that approach with the Pharisees. That's not going to work with them. So he's, he's harsh. He calls them a brood of vipers. He's like, man, you guys are sick. What is wrong with you guys? You're not doing it the way God created you to do this. He's harsh with them. Why? Because that's how they needed to hear him. He did it in a way that would honor God. He communicated with the woman at the well in a way that would honor God. He communicated with the woman caught in adultery in a way that would honor God. You see, he approached these people in love, but his approach to them was not just out of love for them, but out of love for his father. You see, what's important is Jesus, being the also creator of, of all people, he understood each of these people or people groups. So he knew how to communicate with them. I, I met with a couple this past week who, who came to see me because they were going through some difficult times and were talking about getting a divorce. And the wife, she wanted a divorce. The husband didn't want a divorce. And he was frustrated because all he wanted from her was just, look, just give me a list of the things I'm doing wrong and I'll fix those things, right? That's all he wanted. He said, just, just tell me what it is. I don't understand. Whatever I'm doing wrong, tell me. I'll stop doing that thing or start doing something you want me to do, and we'll be all better. Now, on paper, that looked all right, but that's not what she wanted. She didn't want to tell him what was bothering her. She wanted him to know what was bothering her. She wanted him to study her. 
She wanted him to get to know her in a way that he didn't have to ask. He could just read it. He could just tell it. He could just know by his relationship with her. And because he failed at doing that, she didn't want any part of this guy anymore. There wasn't a list of things she could give him that he could just fix. So he was focused on an arrangement that satisfied him. And he wanted to preserve that arrangement. She felt empty out of relationship. Jesus does not have to ask these people how he can respond to them to help them. He knows because he created them. And, 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 and immediately he has this ability to understand how to relate to somebody because not only because he created, but also because he has the supreme ability to read people. Right Now, we don't necessarily have that, but we have that responsibility that when we communicate with people, we have to understand our audience. If we're in a relationship with somebody, it's so important to invest in that relationship in such a way that we understand what feeds the person we're in relationship with, that we can know when something's wrong, we can know why something's wrong, we can know how to communicate with them, where they're at. We can't just, we can't just assume they're going to hear like we communicate, all right? Jesus taught this parable of the lost sheep. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. I'm going to give just a real quick recap. Jesus, Jesus says, okay, there's, there's, in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, if, if there's one, if there's, if there's a hundred sheep and one of them is astray, that shepherd is going to leave the 99 and go find that lost sheep. Now, Think of this economically, okay? Because this, this was an illustration they would have understood economically at the time. If you've got 100 sheep and you lose one, you're still going to pay your bills, okay? But if you go chasing after that one sheep and these 99 get scattered or lost or something happens to them, you're done. I mean, you, you can't pay the bills. At that. You've lost your flock. What this picture is is that it's not about preserving Jesus. It's not about him paying his bills or getting what's owed to him. It's about preserving the lives of the sheep. It's about going after that lost sheep saying, it's too valuable. That one, that one is too valuable for me to not go get. That one is too valuable to me to forsake. If, if there was just the one sheep, if it was just you that needed Jesus to come to the earth to die on the cross, he would have done it. That's his love. He would have done that. You know, this, this passage has inspired a, a kind of a more recent contemporary Christian song called Reckless Love, and it's kind of created a little bit of controversy because it identifies God's love as reckless in the song and using this passage. And, and, and I don't know whether you like that term or not, but I, for one, love the song. I, I love the picture of the song because it's not saying that God's love is, in fact, reckless. It's saying that from our perspective as humans, it sure looks that way. God's love does not make sense to us. You can't love like God loves. You, you just can't on your own. You have boundaries to your love where you're only going to go so far. And at some point, you're going to turn into self-preservation mode. That's the way we as humans love. That's, that, that's all we're capable of on our own. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus does not care the cost of his actions to save his people. 
He would go so far as to lay his life out on a cross. He would go that far. He can't go any further than that. He would die for the least. He would die for the greatest sinner. He would die for whoever has caused him the most pain. He would die for that person. That doesn't make sense to us. That just seems reckless to us because us, as humans, we're going to at some point say, hey, look, you've endured enough pain for that guy. He's, he's gone. You need to cut, cut your ties and let it go. That's what we say. That, that's how we live our lives, right? I mean, think about relationships. Some of you have been in that relationship where someone says, hey, you know what? You need to just cut your ties with that person. They're, they're not worth saving at this point. You can't do any more. And that... Sometimes that's, that's true in the way we have to live our lives, but that, that informs the way we love here on earth. And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, no, there, there is no line where they've gone too far. I will always pursue my sheep. I will always pursue even one. That seems hazardous and reckless to us because eventually Jesus is going to get hurt in that process. And he says, I, yeah, I know. I, I know. And I'm still going to do it. So, from our human economy, that looks reckless. Now, from God's economy, he says, no, it's not, because there's, n- there's no price I'm not willing to pay. There's no price I'm not willing to pay for my sheep. That's Jesus' love. That's Jesus' love. The object of Jesus' actions. So you see Jesus living this this life of ministry, and he interacts with the woman at the well. He interacts with the Pharisees and the the scribes. He he tells a story about the lost sheep. What's important about all of his, his interactions, all of his actions, the object of his love is never himself. It's never about preserving himself, right? It's it's not even it's not even about preserving the sheep, really. It's about honoring God, his father. And he honors God, his father, by loving the sheep the way he does. It was never about himself. Think about, think about it this way. If it was about himself, I mean, he, he's going to create boundaries, right? He's, he's, sit, he's up on the cross, and all he had to do is say, this is stupid, enough of this. Angels come down and destroy everybody, right? He that's, that's me. I would have been like that guy, Right? The sons of Zebedee said, Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven? He's like, no, you imbeciles. No, that's not what we're here for. But he could have. And I would have been like, yes, let's do it. Let's bring the fire down and stomp these people, right? You ever watch a movie? You ever watch a movie with a bad guy? And all you're thinking of the whole time is, man, I'd like to punch this guy in the face, right? Man, I, I, hope, I hope at the end of this movie he dies a painful death. You guys ever been like that watching a movie? That's, that's me. That's my dirty heart, right? And, and Jesus could have done that at any point. He could have just... Bam, right? Made them pay the price for what they did to him. He could have at any point created justice by doing that. If Jesus would have served justice on mankind for what it did to him, boy, we wouldn't be in here today. It wasn't about him. His love was never about him being honored. Some of us are Christians, some, some of us choose to go to church or, or, or identify as a Christian out of self-love, right? 
Some of us have been taught that. Some of us have been showed that that's how you become a Christian. Anybody in here ever go to church camp, or maybe this is a familiar story to somebody. You're like junior high, you go to church camp, and someone says, hey, look, you know, if, 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 if you're separated from, if you don't invite Jesus into your heart, you're going to go to hell. Is that what you want? You want to go to hell? No, you don't want to go to hell. Here's what you have to do to avoid hell. Just pray this prayer with me, right? That's disgusting, all right? That, that, is, that is shaping hearts out of, out of this disoriented, life-preserving, self-preservation, self-loving attitude. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel, okay? You don't choose Christ to preserve yourself. You choose Christ because Christ is worth it, because he's worthy of that honor. That's the picture Christ gave us. It was never about him. It was never about self-preservation. It was about preserving others for the glory of God, the Father. And maybe, maybe that self-preservation isn't just about why you choose to follow Christ. Maybe it's why you're just here. Maybe you say, you know what, man, my, I've, I've tried everything else in my life, and everything else has been a failure, so maybe I'll try this Christian thing. Maybe my life will go better for me if I try this, right? Got, got to be something better out there for me. Maybe you're here today because you just want to feel better about yourself. Maybe that's why you go to church. You feel like, man, this, this is what I ought to do. This, you know, this is what I ought to do. Maybe people look around at me and say, there's a, there's a good person because he goes to church on Sunday morning. Again, that's self-loving. That's self-loving. Now, I, for whatever reason you're here, I'm glad you're here. I'm grateful that you're here. Because even if you come through these doors, and most of us do, most of us come in through, through church doors out of some unholy motivation, oftentimes, right? I, I'll, I'll confess that I have attended church in the past for a girl, right? <laughs> I, I have done that, all right? So a lot of us have come through the church doors for reasons other than righteous reasons. And God can work through that. So I'm glad you're here. But look, if you're here for some reason other than because God's worth it to you and you want to be here just to honor God, you, you want to unify with other believers and other saints to, to sing praises to him and to learn more about him so that you can draw near to him so that he can be glorified, if that's not your reason for being here, well, st- stick to it because God will shape your heart. But if you're past that and you're like, you know, I don't even care about it. I just, I just want to keep going because I enjoy the social atmosphere. I enjoy whatever. You know, honestly, this is probably not something Pastor Charles wants me to share. Pastor Mike wants me to share. Go find something else, something better to do, really. I mean, if, if you're only here for yourself, I can, I can probably give you a list of things that are more fun than going to church on a Sunday morning. Honestly, go fishing. Stay home sleeping. I mean, because if you're only doing it for how you turn out here on this life, there's more fun things to be doing than being at church. But if you are earnestly pursuing a God who is worthy of your time, then welcome, right? Welcome. Welcome online. And and here's kind of a little test on that. Here's how you know where you stand on that. Because some of us might not be honest with ourselves all the time. So like in the summer, it's 100 degrees and our AC's out. Are you coming to church? If 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 it's... 10 degrees outside and our heat's not working. Are you coming to church? Or is that too uncomfortable? Too inconvenient all of a sudden? So when, when you've got better things to do or you've got, uh, it's just kind of uncomfortable and, and you don't really feel it that day, 
you got to think to yourself, why am I doing it in the first place? It, it, I mean, is God still on the throne even on the cold days when the AC's, or when, on the cold days when the heat's not working? Yeah, God's still worthy on those days. If he's worth it on the comfortable days, why wouldn't he be worth it on the uncomfortable days? Jesus certainly wasn't about seeking out comfort. Even when Jesus was being inconvenienced by others, which was his entire life and ministry, he still persevered. He still persevered to give of himself to others. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus replied, well, you love God and you love others. Basically, I'm paraphrasing there, obviously. Love God with everything you've got. That's the first commandment. That's the great commandment. And then the second one is kind of like it. You love your neighbors as yourself. So the second is like it because the second actually, when you do the second, you're actually doing the first. Right? So you love God with all you've got. And, and you can see clearly that was Jesus' whole motivation in life. He pursued God with all he had. And he did that by loving others as himself. Later, Jesus says, later Jesus says in, in Matthew 25, he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing for me. So, so he says, when you, when you feed others that need to be fed, it's like you're feeding me. When you're helping others in need, it's like you're helping me. If you forsake those that are in need, it's like you're forsaking me. So the way we love others is, is a picture of how we love God. First Corinthians, if you get your Bible, uh, go to First Corinthians, if you would, please. We're going to go back to this a couple times here. So First Corinthians chapter 13, this is kind of the love chapter, right? Um, we're going to pick it up at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is a description of Jesus' life. That's a description of the way Jesus lived, the way Jesus walked. And that's what we're called to. All right, I got I to move along here. So let's go, let's go back to Ephesians. Go back to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> All right, so we're instructed here to walk in love as Christ loved us. We've talked about now how Christ loved us. We see how Christ loved us. He loved us by making God the priority and loving us in a way that would honor God. Now back up, we've got to look at what Paul meant by this. So throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul several times uses the term walk this way, right? He says that we're created for, for good works and that we're to walk in them, so we're to walk in our good works, walk in the good works that Christ has created for us. We're, and that's in, in uh, chapter 2. We're told to walk in chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. Well, the, the calling you've been called is to be a child of God. That's what he says just preceding that. So walk in a manner worthy of being a child of God. Here he says, uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 17, and I'm going to fly through this, so bear with me. I'm, I'm, I'm in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, 
verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Gentiles, when Paul refers to Gentiles, he's talking about anybody that does not, ha- does not know God. All right? So in, in, in the Old, Old Testament, Gentiles would have been any, anybody that was not in the Jewish faith. Now he, he's expanded that. So when he says Gentiles, anybody that doesn't know God. Okay? Skip down. So he says, don't walk like you used to. Don't walk like you did before you knew Jesus. He says, instead, go down to verse 21. Or go to verse 20, I'm sorry. But that is not the way you learned Christ, walking in the old path. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to, okay, pay attention here, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, that's walking as the Gentile. That's walking the old way, your old self. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, here's, here's the confusing part about this passage. When you read this, it looks like Paul is telling you to do this. It looks like Paul is instructing you to step out of your old self and put on the new self. But this is not something you can do. You can put yourself in a position to receive this, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God to transform you, all right? This is important, and I'll come back to why that's important. So then it goes on in verse 25. says, Therefore, having, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Go down. Be angry and do not sin. Keep going down. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So what Paul's doing, he's giving examples of what it looks like to have a changed life. Because they would have understood this before. They would have understood that before... It was, I mean, this is kind of the way we live. We, we, we wouldn't always be true with each other. We would sometimes say a little white lie to maybe get ahead in business or something or just to, to make life go a little easier for myself. Or when I get angry, I would just deal with it. I would, I would let my anger. Now, notice he doesn't say don't be angry. He says when you're angry. He says be angry, but when you're angry, man, let, let it be dealt with in a righteous way. And he says to the, to the thief, let the thief no longer steal. Now, he doesn't just say let the thief no longer steal. He goes on then to say, and instead, let that person actually be productive and do good things and benefit the people around him. So he's describing a changed life here, a different way to walk. And he goes on in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. All right. What he's doing here is saying this is how you communicate with other believers. This is specifically to how we communicate with other believers. So what I want you to think about here. We can all recognize that Jesus was super loving. Jesus was super good. Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross. What we're told here is to walk in love like that. And and how are you walking in love like that with this text that we just looked at? How's your speech? Does any corrupting talk come out of your mouth? Any talk that is, is not just good for building up as fits the occasion? How are you communicating with your boss? How are you communicating with people you work with? How are you communicating with your parents or with your children? Is is your language, is your speech building them up? 
Or is it tearing someone down? Do you ever post things on Facebook that don't have any other effect other than embarrassing somebody, telling them they're wrong, or telling them you're right? That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with what he's telling us here. That is not walking in love if you're doing anything other than what this is. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit has sealed us into this. The Holy Spirit has sealed us into this. Don't let our lives, don't let our lives reflect something that's not who God sealed us to be. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Do you catch yourself ever talking in bitterness? Maybe it's not the things you say. Again, maybe it's the things maybe you say online or your attitude toward other people. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So again, it's that example. Look, Christ gave this to you. You guys remember the example that Christ taught about the, the guy who, who was in debt to somebody else for like 10 million gazillion dollars. It was like a lifetime of debt that it could never be repaid. He said, oh, come on, just give me another week to pay this back. And the guy says, you know what? You don't have another week because I'm just going to forgive the debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. It's like, what? Seriously? Like, I owe you a gazillion dollars. How, how can you do that? And the guy says, you don't owe me anything anymore. You're free. You're free. So then the guy walks out. He's just been freed of this huge debt. He walks out, and he sees a guy that owes him a, a, a Sprite, right? He's like, hey, I, I bought you a Sprite last week, and you haven't paid me back. He's like, ah, I know I don't have $1.50 on me, so, so please just, just give me another week. He's like, no, I'm not giving you another week, and he has this guy locked up, right? And everyone's like, what guy would do that? Who would just be forgiven a gazillion dollar debt and then go have someone thrown in jail for $1.50? And Jesus says, exactly. Exactly. How can you possibly live like that? Do you realize what Christ has forgiven you of? Do you realize the debt he has paid for you? Do you realize that? And then, and then you turn around, walk out, and think of all the people you're, you're talking bad about or talking bad to or resenting for the $1.50 they might owe you. I don't know how I'm doing on time because I'm not going to look at the clock. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so he, here's, so, so verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 kind of summarize what he just taught us in 4. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the, rest of, in, in the next part of chapter 5, but I want to talk about it a little bit here. Because what, what Paul does here is he, is he expands on this a little more. And now he's transitioning more from the way you talk to other people in the church. Now he's talking more about here's how you interact in the world. right? So he talks about sexual immorality here. Now, don't get on a high horse, right, about, about thinking about other people that belong to sexual immorality, not you, because probably you've all been there. You've all been there, right? And what he's saying is that's, that's that corrupt life, that's the darkness that you used to belong to, and you're called to something different. So again, Paul uses this illustration of walking. Now he says, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Uh, I'm in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So again, he's saying, walk like Jesus walked. Walk, walk like this beam of light in a dark world. For what purpose? To please the Lord, to please God the Father. So think about your life. Are you walking in a way, the decisions you make, the, 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 paths, the paths you walk down, are you doing it 
with the purpose of glorifying God, or are you doing it with the purpose of satisfying self? In everything, not just why do you come to church, not just why do you sing worship songs, but why do you have a job? Why do you go to work? Why do you have children? Why do you teach your children? Why do you love your spouse? Why do you eat certain things and not other things? Why do you abstain from from habits that you know are going to tear you apart? Why do you do anything? If it's not to glorify God, you're doing it wrong. What's great about What's great about Ephesians is that we see a lot about the church of Ephesus. So we see Paul's instructions here over and over and over. You see this theme of love. Everything's got to be rooted in love. It's got to be founded in love, right? Paul keeps encouraging them and exhorting that principle of God's love in the way you do things. Where do you see Ephesus again? Well, we saw Ephesus in, in Acts 19. I would encourage you to read Acts 19. You have a better understanding of this. So we see Paul ministering to them. But then we also see them in Revelation. We see this church pop up again in Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 2, it's where the scrolls are being opened. And and, and the angel's reading about this church in Ephesus. And and, and we're seeing this description of a church who's doing everything right. Doing everything right. They're sticking to the word. They're calling out false teachers. They're loyal to Christ. But then he says, but I hold this against you. You forsake your first love. They're doing everything right, except they stopped doing what Paul taught them about be rooted in love. Walk in love. They had this propensity to just be right. They had this propensity to just do the right thing without the right reason. Now, that's us, guys. That's us all the time. We go through the motions and make sure we look right to the world. We can even be justified in the way we communicate with other people. But we realize all these things that we're doing right mean nothing. They mean nothing if we're not doing it out of love. I'm almost, I'm almost done here. Troy, you can start counting. If I speak in the tongues of men, this is, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Think about that just for a second. Anybody have a friend or somebody in their family that their voice is just like a clanging gong and you just want them to stop talking, right? Right? I don't. I don't have that in my life, but I'm sure some of you do. So, or, or think of a song, right? Think if we're having a worship song and Josh is up here and the only thing you hear is clang, 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 clang on that, on that cymbal. And that's the only sound you hear. You're like, okay, that's enough of this song, right? That's not what we, this is a, this is a horrible thing to hear. He's saying, if, if you're doing the right things, but you're not doing it in love, that's how obnoxious your life is. To God, to God. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, that sounds pretty impressive, right? That sounds like something we would want in our lives. But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If it's not rooted in love, it's nothing. You can do all the right things in the world. You can check all the boxes. And it might be very impressive to the world around you. And it might get you somewhere here in this life. But you're just a Pharisee. You're not where God called you to be. This is not a passive thing, guys. 
I'm not, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not encouraging you to, to, to leave here and say, you know, I think I'll, I'll look for more opportunities in my life to, to share love with somebody. That'd be great if you did, but that's not, that's not what we're called to. This is not a passive thing where when somebody comes into my life, maybe I can love on them a little better. You're being called to be transformed. We're being called to be willing to change our lives in such a dramatic way that we put everything aside that was important to us and we focus on God. If we're not doing that, we're doing it wrong, guys. Focus on God. Focus on Jesus said, hey, forget about your, your mother and your sisters out here, right? You're going to follow me. You're going to follow me. Now, what his point was, was don't hate them. Love me, and I promise you I will restore your life. These relationships in your life. I promise you if you pursue me, you're going you're gonna to be fine. I'm gonna, I'm, that doesn't mean you're going to be painless and, and all your relationships are going to be great. What it means is if you make me the priority, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. That doesn't mean you're going to stop being loved by your wife. It doesn't mean your children are going to hate you any more than they already do. It doesn't mean that, that, that you lose out on things. But if you reorient your life to God, things will work better for you because that's the way God has instructed us to do it. And you don't do it because it works better for you. You do it because he's simply worth it. Nothing else is. Oftentimes, we reorganize our life, we reorient our life in a way that will honor us and bring us more pleasure, more satisfaction, more honor, uh, more glory. And, and Jesus says, hey, you get, you get your reward here on earth. But I hope you're not living for a reward here on earth, guys. Be transformed. Walk in love and let the world see your walk. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the way you love us, for the, for the way you've You've lavished your love upon us in a way, God, that, that we certainly don't deserve, that in fact we've, we've rebelled against you in our hearts, and we thank you for loving us so much that you've, you've given us your only son, that, that we might have this kind of hope. We thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we ask that you would stir it in our hearts, that we would leave here uh, just, just earnestly pursuing you in, in opportunities to love and honor and glorify you, even through our relationships, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would um, strengthen our relationships, strengthen the way we love our children, the way we love our spouses, the way we love our neighbor, um, that you would be the, the ultimate recipient of that love, but that, that you would love us through each other, Father. We, we thank you for this blessing and ask that you would uh, watch over our lives and keep us safe. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.